Guys, I'm going to sit down if you don't mind, all right? Since all of y'all are sitting down, unless you guys want to stand with me while I talk, and then I'll stand. We'll just sit together. So it's uh, awesome to be back in Nashville, and thank you, Wes and Larry and the rest of the guys for... uh, allowing me to come back and hang out with you this morning. I had to take a second mortgage on my house to get here with the price of gas the way it is. But uh, I'm thankful to be here with you guys. Um, I just came off of two weeks of doing back-to-back men's events that we had planned and and, um, made happen in Kentucky. We were in Burlington, Kentucky, near Cincinnati, and those folks are crazy about the Bengals right now, aren't they? And then this past week, we did one in Murray. Uh, but you guys know how it's been for the past couple of years. I really hadn't traveled much. Um, in fact, we had planned on doing this event that we just finished in Murray. In 2020, we had just done an event in Burlington, Kentucky. And then we uh, were headed to Murray the next week. And that's the week that COVID hit and they shut the state down. So I haven't been on the road much, but I took my whole family up to northern Kentucky with me. And on a side note, before I get into the, what's going on up in, in Murray, um, it was interesting being on the road again. I was a little bit rusty with all the travel and stuff. <clears throat> but we checked our family into a couple hotel rooms, and it was my wife Leslie and I, and we've got three boys. Our oldest daughter didn't go with us. She's in college. And so my two older boys had a room, a connect, we were in a connecting room, they had a, t- a room to themselves and they each had their own bed. So our nine-year-old decided he wanted his own bed. And uh, a lot of times when I travel, because I'm so big, uh, when we're in a room with two queens, I'll sleep in my own bed and Leslie and the nine-year-old will uh, snuggle together. But this time he was big stuff, so he wanted his own bed. And we said, okay, you can have your own bed. So we get into bed, shut the lights off and um, James is all snuggled in. I go to throw my arm around Leslie and tell her goodnight, give her a kiss and a hug. It's real quiet in the room. And then suddenly James pipes up and says, Mom, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, uh, James, uh, we're just snuggling. And he goes, is it the special kind of snuggling? <laughs> And I, what is that? I mean, where, where, where did he come up with that? Nickelodeon or I don't know. But anyway, um, that's when Leslie jumped into the conversation. She said, the special type of snuggling. He goes, yes, when you snuggle with your clothes off. <laughs> Nine years old. And I said, no, James, it's, we're just snuggling. Go to sleep. And so that was that. But being back on the road again was interesting. Uh, men's ministry starship start at a very young age uh, as we teach our kids and our young men um, to grow in the Lord. But it's been uh, interesting. I never expected to be serving back on staff in a local church. Uh, particularly a Baptist church. Even though I worked at Lifeway for all those years, we served all different types of churches, all different denominations. But when COVID hit, Leslie and I had um, uh, left a business that we were involved in here in Nashville, and, w- and we had t- 
totally different plans. I mean, we had, we had mapped out what we were going to do for about a year or two, and then COVID hit and kind of shut down those plans. Um, and in the meantime, we were going to do this event in Murray, and my mentor, Keith Inman, who was my college a pastor at Murray State uh, almost 30 years ago. He would, he's the pastor at First Baptist Murray. Uh, we got to talking, and he had just lost his executive pastor. And, uh, you know, he, he was getting to the end of his tenure there. In fact, he retires, at the, he retires next week. We're having his retirement party. But God really laid it upon my heart to give back to the man who had given so much to me, when I, um, when I was in college and helped direct my life uh, toward um, walking in the ways of the Father. And so Leslie and I prayed about it, and we felt led to go and help Keith get to the finish line as a pastor up there in Murray. And little did I know the impact that the past year and a half would have on him and has had on pastors all around the country. I mean, you guys have your own personal stories with what you went through during COVID, but uh, pastoring a church and trying to figure out how to keep the doors open and how to keep people engaged when folks were in isolation was, um, um, it was a heavy burden to bear. And so it's been an honor to be there to help lift his hands up and uh, he's finishing strong, and our church is doing well, and I'm very grateful to be up there. But uh, Murray, Kentucky is a town of about 14,000 people. We've got 9,000 students over at the, uh, or maybe it's 20,000, but we've got 9,000 students over at the university. And so it's a, a huge difference from Nashville, obviously. So anyway, like um, Larry was saying when he introduced me, <clears throat> we were up in Murray, we navigated through COVID, uh, the different strands of the virus and stuff, and we're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel, and then the, the tornado rips through not just Western Kentucky, but I mean, you guys even experienced some of this, I guess North Nashville, right? Uh, Bowling Green, uh, Dawson Springs, up in Marshall County where Benton, Kentucky is, all these towns and homes and churches and um, businesses were, were just ravaged by this tornado. It was one of the uh, biggest tornadoes they've ever seen on record uh, as far as the length that stayed on the ground. Um, the night it hit, we were all hunkered down in our house, but Mayfield's about a 20-minute drive from where I live and we didn't have any damage in our community, in our area. But uh, Mayfield went without power, without water. Water was the big issue, without water for a very long time. And so uh, we were up and running within a couple of days with power. And um, because of that, we've got a facility about five years ago, they made the decision to uh, start a capital campaign and build a family life center um, at First Baptist. And we've had that family life center and uh, during COVID had to shut down all the activities that we were doing over there and really hadn't done much. And then suddenly we start getting phone calls when the tornado hit from different organizations needing a place to stay and put their headquarters uh, together at. And so uh, we opened up that family life center, which has shower facilities and, uh, you know, a, a uh, world-class kitchen and all that type of stuff. And we ended up housing upwards of 300 people 
in two weeks at our church. We had so many people in the Family Life Center that we opened up the church and we had them in classrooms in the church. And so one of the largest organizations was the Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief Team. They always deploy when there's a major disaster, first response. And then we also had um, towers to tunnel, uh, tunnels to towers. They came and stayed with us, and that was interesting. I had always seen the commercials on TV and really enjoyed meeting them and, and learning about what they did. And then we had uh, Inspiritist, uh, some water purifying organizations that came in, and just a wide variety. We had some police officers that came from a different community, about 10 of them that uh, used our place to stay that wanted to go in and help. So um, it was really awesome because we were helping the ones who were able to actually get through a lot of the places where you couldn't go in the first couple of weeks and provide relief and, and help. But you know, a, a, a tornado or a natural disaster, a lot of you guys have probably lived through those, whether they be hurricanes or different things like that. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a, like a funeral uh, where everybody shows up for the funeral and the visitation, but after the fact, people have to go home and slowly start leaving, and then there's just a remnant of, uh, uh, of people left providing relief. Pretty much the people who are left are the people that live there, and some organizations are still there, like um, uh, Franklin Graham's organization, Compassion. But anyway, uh, so people are always asking, what can we do to help? And at our church, we were able to set up a disaster relief fund because we had churches calling from all over the country wanting to give toward it, but they didn't know who to give to, where it would go directly to the needs of the people. So we set up a fund and people would send us uh, money for that fund and tell us if you can uh, meet a direct need uh, go for it. And, and I think it's about $100,000 uh, our church was given and other churches experienced the same thing. Uh, we split that money at first between First Baptist Benton and First Baptist Mayfield because they were also set up as distribution centers and FBC Mayfield was all over the news. They were right in the middle where the tornado hit. But uh, we've been able to really be involved in some incredible things. Um, one of those things is the, the governor of, of Kentucky opened up the state parks for displaced people to stay, people whose homes were destroyed. He opened up the state parks. So Ken Lake State Park was one of those. And they filled their facility full of homeless people uh, that were devastated by the tornado. But the, they had a staff of about four people at Ken Lake. And then suddenly they were at capacity and uh, they desperately needed help. So our church kind of adopted Kinlake and we started sending out volunteers to help with cleaning, cooking, providing meals, um, and uh, chaplaincy, just all sorts of things that people needed at the time. You guys know it was around Christmas. I've never seen so many toys in all my life. Uh, people, people were delivering toys. Uh, we had uh, semi-trucks. NASCAR had sent a semi-truck through their ministry of toys through Compassion. And, and uh, it was really neat to see the kids come in. At Ken Lake, they had a huge toy store, and the governor came for a, a party that they threw right before Christmas. And kids were walking away with bagfuls of uh, of toys. And somebody asked me, you know, where are they going to put the toys? They don't even have a home. They were cramming them in these uh, hotel rooms, you know. But um, if you saw the joy on the face of these children, if you saw the parents 
who were experiencing the opportunity to go into a, a toy store that would have rivaled Toys R Us and uh, allow their kids to pick out whatever they wanted. Uh, for a moment, life was not just normal, it was a dream come true for them. Uh, for a moment, they were able to experience joy and we were able to uh, share in relationship with them and at times uh, share, um, share about Jesus. And some came to know Christ through that experience. Uh, but uh, our experience with Ken Lake, really a couple of takeaways I have. And, and uh, let's see, how much time do I have, Larry? Just so I don't... 20 minutes. I'll share with you uh, three things that uh, God put on my heart this morning. Um, I have never been in this experience before and then suddenly put in a position of leadership where I am uh, like an air traffic controller helping to manage what's going on. I didn't expect to be executive pastor at a church, let alone uh, be one of the leaders that was helping to uh, manage some of the relief efforts in something like this. Such a huge responsibility, and it's overwhelming. Uh, you guys know going from sunup to sundown, uh, and just doing what little you can, getting up the next day and doing it all over again, uh, was physically tiring, and it was spiritually and emotionally draining. Um, but I remembered this story in Genesis about Joseph. I went back and took a good look at that. And you guys, are you guys familiar with the story of Joseph? You know, I remember there used to be a kid's musical called From the Pit to the Palace. From the Pit to the Palace. Uh, talking about Joseph's life because his brothers literally wanted to kill him and uh, instead sold him into slavery ended up in Egypt and did pretty well for himself uh, until Potiphar's wife took a liking to him. And did you know he married one of Potiphar's daughters? Did you realize that? We were talking about that last night. Look it up. Isn't that amazing? Think about the conversations in that house. Because Potiphar's wife uh, wanted to, uh, Pharaoh gave him Potiphar's daughter to marry. Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with Joseph. Joseph didn't want anything to have anything to do with it, so she falsely accused him. He got thrown into prison, and uh, he was in prison for several years, a couple years, I believe, and uh, I thought about that because sometimes we go over those Bible stories. We realize he was in prison. He interpreted dreams. People heard about it. Pharaoh was having dreams, gave him the opportunity to, they said, this prisoner interprets dreams, gave him the opportunity to go and help Pharaoh out, and then suddenly he becomes Second in the land of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gave him his ring, his clothes, and Joseph served and led the nation. And it ultimately led to a reconciliation with his family. But a lot of times we go over scripture and um, it's a story, but you, you put yourself into that story and you think about being falsely accused of a crime. So you live a life to try and honor the Lord and walk in the ways of the Father. You've, you've, you're falsely accused of a crime and you get thrown into prison. Um, I don't know what my mindset would be like in that situation. Uh, I would say it was probably one of Joseph's darkest hours. Now, he did have precedent where he had, you know, where he had been sold into slavery and then ended up in a high-ranking official's house giving favor and being able to manage that. But um, uh, Joseph had to make a choice when it may have felt like God had given up on him. What was he going to do with his time in prison? 
Well, he continued to do what the Lord had gifted him with. He continued to serve faithfully. Joseph had a platform, and oftentimes we think about his platform was with uh, leaders of nations and kings, but he also had a platform in prison, you know? And he was no different than other prisoners. Whether you're falsely accused or whether you committed the crime, I mean, once you're there, you're there. You're, you're a criminal and a prisoner in the eyes of the world. But he continued to do what God had called him to do. He continued to be faithful to God. And uh, I don't know that he knew that he was going to ever, that his circumstances were ever going to change. You know, think about some of the people who have been prisoned because of their faith even. Uh, and then they've been released and we celebrate that. But uh, when you're there, you don't know that the story won't end where you are, but yet he was faithful. And so when I thought about that, I thought, uh, you know, when, when something like this happens, when something like a tornado hits and your whole world gets disrupted, um, what's going to be your response? Well, it wasn't too hard. I was in a position where I was kind of forced to step up and do what I needed to do to honor the Lord and help people. But I just want you guys to walk away encouraged because I know I work with men all the time and there are devastating things going on in the lives of men. Uh, you may not be on a mountaintop right now. You might be in a valley. And if you find yourself in a dark place, I know I'm doing life with some guys who are going through divorces, whose uh, kids have made poor decisions and they're having to deal with the fallout of that, uh, who are dealing with alcohol and drug addiction, just the, you know, the gamut of things. Um, but God wants to do a good work in us. He wants to use us. He wants to uh, be there for us. And uh, during those darkest hours, if we can conjure up the, um, the will to lean on him and remain faithful, it can make a huge difference. And so uh, I remembered that and realized that um, the picture I wanted to paint for you was every time I've ever been in a situation where it seems like something devastating has happened, whether it's a natural disaster or even uh, years prior, I had a job uh, demotion in one of my uh, ministry, um, one of my ministry roles. Uh, the year that I, I had a demotion in one of my ministry roles uh, from being a, a uh, on a leadership team at a big corporation was the year I was given another role to be a, a national men's ministry leader, which quite frankly didn't pay as well. <laughs> And it uh, didn't involve leading as many people. We had a small team, about two or three. Well, that year we uh, ended up doing one of the largest events I've ever done. Had President, uh, former President Bush in at it. And I, I sat across the table from him and I had dinner with him. The significance of that was, um, you know, it's not always our way. It's not always climbing the ladder. But uh, if you if you follow and trust in the Lord, he will put you at the table with kings and leaders. Not because of you, but because of him. He wants to do things through us so he gets the honor and glory. And it may not be that I'm being glorified. I may be in a spot where I'm behind the scenes or not even being seen, but he will sit you in, in positions of honor to be able to have influence. And so it was amazing that uh, during this time when I had left Nashville to move to Western Kentucky, back on church staff in a small church, uh, relatively speaking, compared to Nashville, um, that this happens, and next thing you know, I'm working with the governor of 
Kentucky, getting messages from leaders all over the state of Kentucky, uh, encouraging us because of what we're doing to help through the um, Ken Lake um, uh, through the Ken Lake uh, initiative. And so just recently, Ken Lake has closed the doors to those that are remaining and they've had to leave. And our church, by the grace of God, has been able to provide a bridge. We've been renting Airbnbs uh, for some families to have a bridge that know they're going to have a place to stay maybe in a couple of weeks or a month from now, but they need a place right now, you know? And that's not always traditional for a church. Sometimes people say, why do you want to put the money toward that? What if they don't have any place to go after that? And my only response to that would be, I know where I'm laying my head tonight. It's on a pillow, it's under a blanket, and it's in my home. If they don't have a place to stay tonight, let's deal with tonight, and we'll deal with tomorrow tomorrow. But our church has been awesome. We've seen God move in an incredible way. But two things happened as I closed that really had a huge impact on me. There was a man in Benton, Kentucky, who um, uh, had had his home built, and he had a safe room in the house uh, that was built, the build, builder recommended, and he went forward building a safe room. And so when the tornado came through, uh, Scott Terry took his family and they hunkered down in the safe room. And uh, they heard, the, it was like a train coming through. They heard the loudest noise and his house was completely lifted, destroyed. It was just rubble. But the, but the safe room held strong. And so Scott and his family experienced this. They walked out with nothing left, uh, but their family was safe, to, safe and intact. It was incredible. Uh, they wrote about it in the papers and everything. But the unique thing about that, uh, there were other people who had similar uh, uh, circumstances, I suppose. But the u- unique thing about the Terry family is that when I went to Murray State back in uh, 1992, I had transferred from the University of North, Northern uh, University of Northern Iowa. And uh, my first two years in college, I lived it up big time, man. I was chasing everything but God. And uh, really, <laughs> really got into, uh, you know, uh, alcohol, drinking all the time, uh, going to the dog track and gambling, uh, racking up credit card debt, a whole bunch of stuff. My life was a wreck. And uh, God gave me a do-over, which he always does, it seems like. Uh, a mulligan. Some people call it a mulligan, right? Um, So I went to Murray State to start over. And when I got down there, it was just me in my car with my luggage, moved into a dorm room, uh, nothing on the walls, just had a bed and a desk in there. Very alone, very isolated. God had given me a do-over, but I didn't know what direction I was going to go. And um, I, the cafeteria wasn't open yet, so I didn't know where to eat. I had a meal ticket, um, but it hadn't, you know, it wasn't ready to be used. So the Baptist student ministry was on campus, and I saw a sign they were going to be serving meals uh, all week long. And so it's like, heck yeah, I'll go over there and get free meals. So I went over there and ate, and I had to write my name down on a piece of paper. And a couple of days later, there was a knock on my door, and uh, it was Keith Inman. He was following up the campus minister that I've gone back to serve with in this church. He was following up with uh, people who had come over. Keith said, there's somebody I'd like for you to meet uh, who's a leader in our organization. And this somebody was Scott Terry. And so he introduced me to Scott. And uh, Scott and I haven't stayed lifelong friends, but what Scott did was 
he introduced me to several other guys, invited, invited me to one of the parties that they did where they served like Bubba Cola instead of beer, which beer does taste better than Bubba Cola, but hey, uh, that's all right. I needed good influences in my life at the time. Um, so I went to this party, met a bunch of guys, and uh, those guys became my guys, like you guys sitting around these tables. Those guys became my group of guys that supported me, encouraged me, and uh, helped me walk in the ways of the Father and grow in my relationship with Christ. And so when this happened to Scott, I reached out to him and I said, Scott, um, you may not realize this, and I think maybe I had told him, maybe I hadn't, but I said, when I showed up at Murray State, you built a safe room around me. You surrounded me with guys who would uh, protect me, who would encourage me, who would uh, admonish me, and who would pray for me, and who would do life for me. And I was in a tornado of, in my life at the time. God had given me a do-over, and I could have gone one of two ways, path of destruction or uh, rebuild and see what God might do. And because of what Scott did with that safe room of guys introducing me to them, uh, it changed my life forever. And I've had some of the most incredible experiences with the Lord and serving churches and in relationship with other guys because of that. And so we were able to celebrate that together. Uh, the last thing I'll say is, um, I told you earlier, I was tired, man. Um, I was headed back out of Mayfield, and uh, I have never, and I know we've got, uh, tell me your name again. John, John grew up in Mayfield, or is from Mayfield, and has pictures on his phone. The, the devastation was uh, incredible, and the, the pain that the people experienced, those walking around, I mean, uh, it was like a bomb went off in that town. Um, and so emotionally and spiritually, whew, it was hard. And so I was headed out of Mayfield that first week for like the fifth time or whatever, and uh, I, I don't know what prompted me, but I picked up the phone to call uh, Andy Marshall, um, and you guys know Andy, he's not here today on vacation, but I um, picked up the phone to call him, and I, I'm assuming when Andy gets calls, uh, who knows what's coming in, you know, he gets tons of calls from different people, and uh, but he's a great friend, and I called him and uh, uh, sh shared with him what was going on, and Andy said, uh, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And I said, uh, I just kind of broke down in the car. I said, Andy, I just need you to pray for me. I just need you to pray for me. And uh, I thought Andy would say, well, Jason, Jason, you got it. I'll pray for you. But instead, Andy said, dear Lord, and he started praying for me, for me and he prayed me all the way from Mayfield back to Murray, Kentucky, and uh, when I got off that phone, I thought, uh, you know, Andy, Andy's one of those guys that is uh, uh, wealthy, and I'm not talking about in a, in a financial uh, sense or in a possession sense, but he's wealthy like we are, those that walk with Christ, because we've got Christ in us, the very spirit of God living in us, the king of the universe, and we're called to be ambassadors of that king. We answer to his kingdom, like Tony Evans says, and uh, I mean, nothing can stop us uh, from having an impact on the world and on each other. And Andy was willing to share the wealth of God's spirit that lives in him with me that day. And it encouraged me in the spirit. Something supernatural happened uh, 
when Andy prayed for me uh, that day. And I, and I told him, you know, I told him, thank you. You don't know what that meant to me. I'll never forget that because uh, it's the strength of those type of moments that really help you rise up and uh, do something extraordinary. And so I know anything I've been able to do, I've just been a small part of what's been going on. Uh, so many people involved in the recovery, but so thankful for First Baptist uh, Murray, Murray, Kentucky. It's been around for 175 years, but when, when it was time to step up and do what we needed to do, uh, because of the prompting of the Spirit, our church has done that, and others uh, across the state have as well. So very thankful to have been involved, but I just want to encourage you guys, uh, keep on uh, keeping on in relationship with each other. I was just talking with Larry and Wes about this group you guys have been meeting with for 14 years. Is that right? The, the dinner group and then and then this group for over 10 years that uh, we, we all need to be surrounded in, with that safe room uh, we, we do not need to live in isolation. And we certainly, after COVID, the greatest uh, pandemic we're facing now is uh, fear and PTSD. <laughs> and I don't want to use PTSD, that word, lightly, but it's the only example that I can think of. People, um, people have gotten accustomed to the adjustment you make when you isolate when you hold yourself in, when you choose not to be with other people. So the moment something hits, that's an easy go-to, where in the past it may not have been as easy. So uh, continue to do life with other people. Make those connections. Uh, it's what God called us to, is to be in relationship with each other. Uh, and that's where life change takes place. And uh, guys, don't ever hesitate to have those. The power of presence just that one little moment. I mean, Andy spent 10 minutes with me on the phone. And he probably did a million other things that day. But that one moment was life-changing, you know. And so uh, just being there and uh, keeping your spiritual antenna up and taking advantage of those moments, there's no telling the difference uh, that you can make. But it's great to be here with you. I, I love being back. And uh, thank you for your time today. Let me pray for us. Father, you are a good, good God. You are so good um, and so able. And we don't always understand why life's circumstances, when we choose to honor and glorify you with our lives, when we're pursuing holiness, why uh, life's circumstances will deliver us an egg. And um, um, we'll be devastated by it or we'll be... Uh, uh, disappointed in life, but uh, Lord, I only cling to the promise that th the story is not over for anybody in this room. That Father, you have uh, great plans for us, and um, Lord, help us to pursue a relationship with you with other people that will help us uh, through this journey in life, and that our story will be a part of a much bigger story as you uh, redeem mankind and as you advance the kingdom. We love you, Lord, and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. And I'll part you guys with a scripture passage that was really important to me uh, during this time, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you. It's from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who, who's always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roar, and foam in the mountains quake with its turmoil. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who's always found in times of trouble. Therefore, 
we will not be afraid. One second. I, I want to take uh, just two more things, and I want you to tell the story about what happened when uh, the houses were being rebuilt, the Amish community came in. This is, this is an important thing in terms of understanding how our life together uh, can work. Yeah. So th there, there's an organization, uh, I think they're called Homes for Heart, Hearts, or Hearts for Homes, it's one way or the other, I get them mixed up, but uh, uh, we learned about it because we're trying to find all the different ways we can be involved in recovery, but uh, this organization helps rebuild homes from the ground up, and um, basically for, about, for around $75,000 to $80,000, you can build a home, which seems like just a little bit of money compared to the cost of housing, right? <laughs> but... Uh, uh, the cool thing about that is, as we've learned about it, that that seventy-five to eighty eighty thousand uh, dollars provides the materials, but it's the Amish community that is doing the building. So uh, not only is labor being provided for free, but they're going to be good homes. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of the things that happens in a disaster is that you know you see it in the news. And you're concerned. We had, uh, for example, the vice president of my company lost her home in Kingston Springs on December that morning, uh, of December night, night of December 10th. Total destruction. Two cars. She and her husband and their dog were just fine. Um, and and God was doing some things in their life that this sort of dovetailed too. But it's easy to see the war in Ukraine, be concerned about it, get all upset about it, get all you know, and and then forget the long-term need that still exists in Mayfield, Kentucky. Um, and, and, and the Mennonite Disaster Service, the Baptist Relief Services, all kinds of organizations have been working in uh, Mayfield, Kentucky. So there's still, there's still need for uh, more funding for homes to re be rebuilt, um, maybe even some more volunteer work. You, you, you could tell us more about that. Um, one of the things that you mentioned three times is uh, walking in the way of the Father. I just have finished a book. I, want, I almost brought a copy. It's in fact, it's in the car because I want to commend uh, a really important read, at least important for me, was uh, Eugene Peterson's book, the, the Jesus Way. And of course, the Jesus Way is the Father's Way. Uh, talk to us just one, one minute more about the way of the Father. What, why does that matter? I didn't coin that phrase. I got it from a friend here in Nashville named Gary Morgan. I don't know if any of y'all know Gary, but he's the pastor of, uh, the urban pastor at First Baptist Nashville. A real hip guy, but he's older than me. <laughs> anyway, Gary, uh, he lives in one of those big downtown uh, apartment complexes, and they do parties for people. Um, and, you know, there's there so many people who don't go to church, who don't know Jesus Christ, but Gary does life with a community of people where he walks in the way of the Father. And that really hit home to me because uh, a lot of times having an impact on people is not walking out and making sure you get to tell them the Romans road and stick a track in their pocket and lead them to Christ on the spot so you don't miss the opportunity, but it's learning their story. It's really caring about what they have to say and where they are in life. It's learning the culture. There's some things I may not be involved in or, or participate in. Like I talked about, alcohol is not a, a good thing for me for me because I, I don't know how to handle it. I overdo it. You know, I abuse it or whatever. But it doesn't mean I can't uh, uh, learn about 
from a bartender about uh, different drinks and how they make them and stuff like that because that's what he does every day of his life and sit down and listen, build a relationship and have the opportunity to be there so that when the time comes and a crisis hits, uh, you're welcome into that home. You're welcome into that life or whatever. So I see, see, uh, and then the other thing I'll say, Wes, and I'm not sure if you were headed anywhere with that question, but uh, we're, we're going through a phase right now where a lot of people are being theologically trained. I went to seminary and, and got an education, whatever, and uh, there's a lot of people standing up saying the Bible is the Word of God infallible, it's so on and so forth, which I believe. But uh, there are no wheels on the tires. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, being raised up to know the, know Scripture but the application of it in their life, doing what Jesus did, not just learning about who he was and believing it and knowing scripture and being able to share it with somebody, but having evidence of that in your life. And that's why when people look at the church, if they see you preaching one thing, but you're not, uh, you're not practicing what you preach in your life, um, there's a uh, disconnect. And it's turning a lot of this younger generation away from the church, you know. And so it's, it's so important that we put wheels to our uh, theology. There's a great man in town named uh, Sherman Smith. He used to coach for the Titans. Oh, has he? Has he spoke here? With Sherman and I, we were talking on the way, on my way here, we were talking on the phone, and uh, he does a great job challenging guys. But, uh, you know, it, it's, all, it's really all about uh, being able to even sometimes compromise your personal preferences, not your values, but your preferences uh, when it comes to uh, sharing life with somebody to stand on the word of God and what God says, not what you feel or, or believe. So that's what, that's what I consider walking the ways of the Father. Yeah. All right, they're going to kick us out of here, but um, how good? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Real quick, he mentioned the Ukraine. I did want to share this with you. Uh, Just a couple weeks ago, uh, we went to Rolling Hills uh, Church when we were here. Great church. Uh, We went to the one over in Nolansville. Uh, We had a family that we did life with, life group with, and their, their mom was in the Ukraine when all this stuff started happening. And, you know, our church is really... Uh, has her spiritual antenna, but we got a call that she was in the Ukraine and they had evacuated to Poland. Within three days, we were able to provide the finances to get her a plane ticket from Poland back to Nashville. So on Sunday night, our church got together and met and said, we're going to do this. Let's make it happen. On Wednesday night, she was in Nashville with her kids and grandkids and had been rescued from that situation. So just praising the God for what he's doing. I have some Amish, Amish Mennonite cousins on the border, of, uh, inside Poland on the border with Ukraine working with the refugees. Um, this final thought, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the oil of joy, the oil of anointing that flows down on Aaron's beard when he stands in his priestly duty. It is like the, the refreshing dew of the northern Mount Hermon that falls on the arid, dry Mount Zion. It is there that God commands a blessing. Go in peace, brothers.